Go and open with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. Um, while you're, you're turning there, um, let me just say thank you, praise team and choir and the opportunity we have to praise Jesus. Man, that was good. Love it. Uh, in Matthew chapter 13, we're going to be looking at two parables, and we're walking through this sermon series about stewardship. Let me kind of briefly share with you maybe a quick overview of what this is going to look like. Last Sunday, we looked at really stewardship from like a 30,000 foot view, just kind of a real broad starting in Genesis and looking at this big biblical kind of a, an idea of stewardship. And every Sunday, we're gonna kind of dive in, maybe a little bit more focused uh, by the time we get to our last week. Starting in February, we'll have a new sermon series uh, and we'll talk a little bit about that every week as we get going called Who's Your One and Why It Matters and Why It's Important to Us and kind of how we're gonna do that. Uh, and so last week, what we looked at, let me quickly just give you the four principles that we looked at. If you were not here, you missed it. We looked at this principle of ownership, that God created all things, he owns all things, uh, and so therefore it's all his. The principle of responsibility, he then delegated all these things to you and I to steward them, uh, to bring them back to him in worship. We looked at uh, the principle of accountability, and because he has delegated all those things to you and I, we will be accountable for what we do with them or what we don't do with them. And then lastly, the principle of reward. Uh, we'll be rewarded based off how we uh, steward those things. So today what we're gonna do, we're gonna zoom in a little bit and look at kingdom stewardship. We're gonna ask ourselves this. Because now we see how God created everything, sin messed it up, and then Jesus was sent into this world to die on the cross as the payment for our sins. So in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, this what we call the gospel, the good news that Jesus came for us and, uh, and died in our place and now offers new life to us, how does this impact how we view stewardship. How does the gospel give us a kingdom mindset and how we steward all things? You know, I think it may be a good way, a place to start with this is, is just with Chick-fil-A. It's kind of a good place to start a lot of times. I know it's frustrating that I bring this up often on a Sunday. It's where I know you won't be for lunch. Uh, how, many of you, how many of you in this place right now, you have worked at Chick-fil-A? Throw your hands up. You have worked at Chick-fil-A. Let me just go ahead and tell you, Shirley Hills owns that place, baby. Come on. I just want you to know our community is thankful to you. We are a better city because of your service. You know, <laughs> we love you. All right. And so he, how many of you, though, you know the menu left and right. You pull up. You just, you know, it's like 400 cars deep. You're out in about three minutes. You've got everything. You like, how many of you, you like roll through and they like write your name on something because you go there that much? I know one. Uh, and you're like, thank you for coming again this morning. We really appreciate you. Here's your coat. But anyway, so Chick-fil-A, you love it. How many of you know their purpose statement? How many of you know their purpose statement? Listen to this. Chick-fil-A says that our purpose is to glorify God by being a faithful steward of all that is entrusted to us, to have a positive influence on all who come into contact with Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A says we do not exist to have the best chicken sandwich. We're not here to try to beat Popeyes, even though we, you know, we just know. But we're not, we're not here to enter into that fight. We're not here to give you like the best chicken biscuit. We're not here to win a sweet tea award. We're not here to have the greatest waffle fries this planet has ever known. We are here to take everything that has been trusted to us and we want to glorify God. And this is how we're going to glorify God, by being a good steward. You and I bring glory to God in how we steward everything that God has given us. 
It doesn't matter what your thing is. Chick-fil-A's thing is chicken sandwiches and many other things like that Polynesian sauce and your my pleasures. They, they take all of that and it's just all of this that we have, our thing, we wanna glorify God with it by being a good, good steward. So today what I want us to look at is how, by, because of the gospel, because of what Jesus has done, how does that impact how you and I think about stewardship? Now there's a lot of different ways that you and I measure stewardship. Like a stewardship going good or bad. There's a lot of different ways that we measure that. Uh, one way that we measure this as a church is by love grows sin. How are we stewarding the opportunity that we had to love God and love people? How are we doing a steward the opportunity to grow deeper in a relationship with God and do that in community with other people? How are we doing in stewarding the opportunity that we have to be sent in the name of Jesus to let people know that he came and lived and died and rose uh, victoriously for them and that they can have new life? How are we being sent? So we, would, we might think about it that way. Now there's all types of other ways that maybe you think about it. I would say most people, when I begin to talk about stewardship, if you're doing good or bad, most people just think like, are you tithing? Anybody, are you like, are you tithing? Are you giving like enough money to God? But what happens is we just, we put God in a really small box because we say, God, like we're gonna limit you to like 10%. Like that's the tithe, that's what we're supposed to give. And, and that, like, we're gonna limit you to that. Now the average church, think about this. Let me give you maybe some ways that we can just think through is, are we today, not just our church, but the church in general, are we being good stewards of all that we've been given? Do you know that the average Southern Baptist church decreases 25% in worship attendance on a day that it rains? Just think about that. 25%. Now, I don't think that only means like, like water falling from the sky. I think it's like, wake up, like there's some dew on the grass. <laughs> Got to sleep in this morning, you know what I'm saying? Like, woo. Now, some of that might be some people who like really like can't drive in certain weather conditions and they're like, I just don't trust my driving ability in Warner Robins when it's raining. But the truth is, most of us would say, we all know, how many times have you woke up after a hard week of working, doing that honey-do list on a Saturday and you wake up on a Sunday morning, that alarm goes off, you're like, oh, time to get up go to church and it's raining outside and you're like mm, this is a hot cocoa and live stream type of Sunday and you know you're like watching right now uh, how many of you like that you, you know like yeah I've been there like uh, it's me are we always stewarding the best we have maybe in our opportunity to worship do you know that the average church member the average church member will tithe two percent so that would obviously be a way that you could measure. You could go back and look at 2019 and say, okay, did I go, did I, what, what was my, how did I invest in that? You know, the average church person, the average church person. Now this is, we're talking about Southern Baptist, the average church member in 2019 did not tell one person, did not share the gospel one time. So just let this sink in. Out of all the members who go to church, it takes more, it takes us to get a group together to find out in a grouping, in that whole group, did somebody share Jesus with one person in 2019? Hey, we know this. I know in this room, some of you are saying, man, man, Brad went off and kind of got me. Like, did I share Jesus with somebody in 2019? Did I share, am I going to in 2020? Am I stewarding the opportunity that I have, my time, my talents, my gifts, to announce that Jesus came, lived, died, and rose again? Am I stewarding all of these things? Stewardship is the wise and responsible care of all that we have been entrusted with by God for his glory. You see, often we, we think that stewardship is the same as in the church as it is outside of the church, but it's very different. 
And so we can get really good stewardship principles from the world, but we are living from a completely different world system. And so there's a difference, think about it. Stewardship, the wise and responsible care of all that we have been entrusted with. We, how many of you know tons of people in the world that are like really good stewards of all they have and they've been entrusted with? The difference for you and I though, is that for us it's kingdom stewardship. It's the wise and responsible care of all that we've been entrusted with by God. We realize everything has come from him and we give it all back to him for his glory. So there's a difference. So I wanna give you three things out of Matthew this morning that I think we can learn about how the gospel changes how you and I think about being good stewards. It's not just about, you know, not just about money. It's not just about tithing. It's not just about generosity. It's about everything that we possibly have being pointed to true north, to Jesus and living for him. So Matthew chapter 13, I'm gonna start in verse 44. And what he does, he takes two parables back to back. Parables are an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So he's kind of speaking in code a little bit. He's gonna tell these stories and these stories are meant to teach a lesson. Here's what he says. Uh, don't read ahead, just stay with me. Listen to what he says first. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure. Stop there. You got me. He starts off with like treasure. I mean, how many of us is treasure not appealing? Think about it as a child. When you see a rainbow, what do you tell your kid in the car? What's at the bottom of the rainbow? There's a pot of gold. We start lying to our kids like real early. There's <laughs> like, a pot of gold. My kids will be like, dad, get the gas, boy. We're going on an adventure. We're gonna find the pot. We gotta find where the gold's at. Think of, what do we know about pirates? What are they after? treasure. They're after this, they're gold, they're treasure, they're adventures. And, and so even from an early age, we are captivated by the thought of gaining a treasure, to gain this thing that is valuable, of immense value. All right, some of you this morning, it's like you, you would love, man, treasure, you're, you're hooked. And this is what's happening. He starts in a conversation, says the kingdom of heaven, it's like treasure, but it's buried in a field. And a man found and reburied it. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and he buys that field. He says, likewise, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and he bought that one pearl. We pray with me, Lord, as we get into your word today, we know that stewardship can be a, a sticky, weird type subject. So we just pray that you would guide us and more than anything, help us to think through the truths of scriptures, that we would be good stewards with all that we have for you and for your glory. You have given it to us. We wanna be responsible. We wanna, we wanna give an account note. We know we're gonna give an account for it one day. And so guide us now as your people, as your church thinks through how we steward in 2020 everything we have. We love you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me give you three areas uh, that the gospel changes or challenges uh, how we think about it. The first one is the gospel changes our value system. The gospel changes our value system. Think about in this story, what happens? This man had a bunch of goods. He went, he finds this treasure and he says, man, this treasure, it's more valuable than anything I've got. So I'm going to sell everything I have so I can buy that field so that I can just get that treasure. He says that another person is, is searching for these valuable pearls and he finds one that is priceless. Priceless means that it, it, it's so valuable that there's no price that can be put to it. So he sells everything he has so that he could obtain this one, this one pearl because this one pearl, is, it's worth it. This pearl, this value, this treasure, obviously it's Jesus. It's Jesus telling this story. Think about the two things that are common in the story. It's first hidden, they don't know where it's at and then it's found. 
And so Jesus ultimately is talking about himself being the Messiah, the one that would come and live and die on the cross for the sins of all mankind to pay the ultimate price for you and I. And that in him, there's a greater treasure than we could ever find. It's priceless. It's the gospel, the good news of Christ. And so he's saying that, hey, there's a person, there's two people, these stories of someone that that found this value and it was of such value that it changed the way that they thought of everything else. I don't know if you know this, there's a a group of people that their job, they're literally paid to assess the values of our world on every continent and and, in the nations. They literally break up the value systems that are found in different continents and different places. And they sell their data and information to businesses and people because based off what we value, then companies know how to market to you and I. Uh, And so every country and every location, every place is, is different. So I want you to think for a moment of some of the values that our world has. They're just in our world system. What would would America's value be? What do we value in America? Money? Don't play, we value money, am I right? It's important. We know that money is important. What else do we value? We value love, freedom. We know we value, you know how I know we value love? It's every Disney movie. Every single one. It's love, it's finding love, it's finding this thing, and it's, it's everywhere. It's in all kinds of our music, all kinds of our songs. We value freedom, the freedom to choose. I want choices. I, I want the freedom uh, to be able to, and I'm gonna talk about that in just a little bit. We wanna be able to make it. You know something else? We value success. Uh, I wanna succeed. I wanna be successful in life. You know what one of the top ones, not just in America and the world were, and this is surprising, we just don't think about it all the time, is security. We value security, parents. When your child begins to drive and you put them in the car, what do you tell them? Be, be safe, be safe. Ladies, when you go shopping out somewhere and you've got uh, a thing full of groceries or you have uh, you know, a cart full of stuff from Belks or wherever you're shopping, I don't know where you shop, but you know, probably like Home Goods or something, and you're shopping and you're walking out to your vehicle with all of your stuff and you're by yourself, what should you do? You should be alert, like look around, you know, make sure like, hey, I'm going to my car by myself, I'm putting things in my car. Uh, now we've got video cameras in a lot of parking lots because people as they're putting their kids in their car, putting stuff in their car, like they're snatched. And, and, and what we always talk about safety, be safe, be safe. You tell somebody you love them and often right behind that is, hey, be safe. Be safe out there, be careful, watch out. We share bad news that's going on often so that we'll be safe, bad traffic on I-75 which I don't know why we share that. It's like the norm. I think we should share when there's no traffic. Everybody get I-75, there's no traffic right now. Like take off, another thing. So you know what the number one, I I thought health would be one of the top ones. It is a value. Uh, We value health. You know that you value health because you spend thousands of dollars every year in health insurance. You wanna make sure that your health is insured because it's important. You You know what the top one is worldwide, not just in America? I thought that it would be like money or security, but it's actually the culmination that brings all those. The number one value worldwide is satisfaction. Satisfaction, people wanna be satisfied. I mean, think about it for just a second. It actually kind of makes a lot of sense once I realized what was happening. People are saying, hey, look, if I have health, but I don't have any money, I, still, I might not be satisfied. I mean, if I have money and health and success, but not love, I might not really enjoy satisfaction. I mean, this is really relevant to you and I. What if you have the love of Christ, but your child doesn't have the love of Christ? It can lead to dissatisfaction in in your own life. So the number one value worldwide was satisfaction. 
being satisfied. See, we understand that ultimate satisfaction comes in the gospel. It comes in Christ, the one who came for you and I. And so what happens is when we see the ultimate treasure that's in Jesus Christ, it changes every other value that we have. When we say, you know what? Love, health, satisfaction, all of those things, I will sell everything and I'll do whatever it takes so that I can have this, this treasure because it is so good. It is the ultimate satisfaction. It is the ultimate love. It is the ultimate provision. It is the ultimate health. It is the ultimate security. In Christ, no matter what happens in this world, I'm secure in Christ. The worst earthly life will only be a drop in the bucket compared to the eternity that I now have because of the gospel. It changes our value system. It changes how we view everything else in light of the surpassing value that is found in Jesus Christ. That moves to the second thing I think we can see that the gospel does in, uh, as we think through being good stewards, the gospel transforms our view of gain. The gospel transforms our view of gain. I, I played baseball. Baseball was my, it was my life. It was, my, it was God to me before I knew Jesus. Even after I knew Jesus, it was a constant battle because I loved baseball. It didn't feel like a sport. It really felt more like life. That was like before Nike made it, like ball's life. It, it felt like that to me. I, I mean, I, I literally, all the time, every day, baseball was kind of my thing. And so I grew up in a time with some greats. I, I loved King Griffey Jr. Anybody out there know some King Griffey Jr.? Yes. Oh, man, I love King Griffey Jr. But some of it was desiring what I couldn't have. He was a left-hander, and he could just stroke it. He had this beautiful, just smooth left-handed swing, and I was a righty. So I wanted that, uh, and I wanted to be able to hit bombs like he could. He could throw his hat on backwards, and I'm like, dude, you are like so cool. And I put my hat on backwards, and I'm like, dude, you need help. And it's just, I, I love King Griffey Jr., and I noticed though, King Griffey Jr., he had a different baseball glove. His glove, uh, he, he was actually one of the first baseball players that uh, had a bigger glove size. And so he had a 13 inch outfielder glove. And his, instead of having a normal webbed type glove, his were a string and had diamonds. And it was a black glove and it was what he wore. And I thought, you know what? If I'm gonna be the baseball player that God wants me to be, I need this glove. That's kind of how I phrased it. God wants the best. He wants me to be the best for his glory. So if I'm gonna do that, I gotta have that King Griffey Jr. glove. So I started saving up money. I started doing all, cutting grass. I'm sorry for everyone who hired me to cut your grass. If you're here, I apologize. I'm sure it was awful. Uh, edging, doing whatever I could, saved up some money. I finally got my King Griffey Jr. baseball glove. And when I walked out my sophomore year in high school, honest to goodness, I thought like, that's it. There will not be another baseball land in this outfield this year. That's just how it's going to be. Like I'm going to catch every single ball. At that point, Houston County's outfield was like a cow field. I mean, it was like hilly. And, but I was like, I don't care in every pothole that I'm about to play in. I'm going to catch the ball because I have my King Griffey Jr. glove. And for a little while, I actually believed that because I had gained this new glove, that I had a new competitive advantage. How many of you grew up in the day where Michael Jordan was the best player ever? All of us did, because he's the best player ever, okay? He's, he's just the best basketball player that's ever played, probably ever will be. And, and he had these shoes, not just Jordans, but before then, he would wear Nike pumps. Anybody remember that? Like, he'd throw them shoes on, he'd like, he'd pump those things a few times, and I thought, oh, 
That's what I need. If I get those pumps, I'm gonna dunk like MJ boy. I mean, tongue out. And I, I, so I saved up some money. I finally got me some pumps, boy. I pumped those bad boy. I lowered the goal down to eight feet. And I was like, being like Mike, I'm dunking like a madman. I'm like, these shoes have made me run faster, jump higher. Like I, because I have gained these, man, I have a new advantage in life. Some of you are living in this same model or this same mold. We tell our kids, having this doesn't make you better. I can remember the pressure that I felt as a student to have name brand clothes. Oh, it was an intense pressure. I'm like, look, if I can just get the shirt with like the Nike check, like I know it's made in the same factory in Taiwan or wherever these things are made. Like I know it's the same shirt but somebody sold a Nike check on one. But if I can get the shirt with a check, if I can gain that check, like, man, I'm gonna feel cool. I'm gonna have a place. Like, I feel better about myself. And we tell our kids something like this. That check doesn't make you. You make the clothes. Listen to me, guys, by the way. The clothes don't make the man. The man makes the clothes. You hear what I'm saying? Am I right, ladies? Like, come on. They're like, eh, eh, eh. You go shopping for your man, you're like, you know, them clothes I pick out for him, it kind of helps make him a little bit. <laughs> Help me out, I'm making a point here. <laughs> if I gain this, and we tell our kids, no, that's not the case, you don't need that stuff. But then the truth is, it never grows out of our own life. Man, if I can just get that promotion, if I can gain that title, Man, that's, that's just gonna do it for me. Like, that's what I need. If I can gain the position, if I can just get this house, man, like, I will have robbed. I will, have, I will let my family, like, I've made it. If I, just, if I could just get this car, if I could just get this thing, if I could just get that guy, if I could just get that girl, if we could just, if I could just have this, like, that would be it. How many times have your children told you something like this? If I can just have that dog, if I could just have this Christmas present, I will never need anything else again. How long does that last after they've got what they want? <laughs> 12 minutes, somebody's there like, 12 minutes. Because the truth is, in how and who we are by ourselves, there's a constant vacuum that needs to be filled with stuff. And we have to consistently find things that we must gain to be happy or to be satisfied in life. But the gospel transforms our view of gain. He says this in Philippians chapter three. I love the apostle Paul because he's just black and white blunt. I mean, he says things sometimes that we would think, oh man, you can't say that, but I'm reading the Bible. He says this in Philippians chapter three, verse eight. He says, more than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ. He says, hey, I've had all these things, title, position, notoriety, money, resources, value, all of that stuff, but everything compared to knowing Jesus and him crucified, the, everything compared to enjoying that treasure and gaining Christ, I compare it to poop. Now that doesn't sound very politically correct, but he's putting it as blunt as he can say it. We make in our mind all these things that we feel like we have to have. We make 
needs and necessities that just really aren't needs or necessities, they're desires. And these desires have now become necessities and we build them up and what happens is we make them many gods in our life and we just pursue them and we wanna gain them because man, this gain is gonna satisfy me. But when we have Christ, when we know him and him crucified, when we now have this new treasure, it changes our values. And now because it changes our values, it changes how we view gain. If I have Christ and him crucified, then everything else is just hogwash. Everything else is just washed. If I have him, everything else will take care of itself. I want Jesus above everything else. Luke says it like this in chapter nine, verse 24. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will save it. That's like, how does that make any sense whatsoever? If you wanna have life, the only way you can have it is by losing it. That is the exact opposite of the worldly view of stewardship. The world says if you want to gain, then you have to have a surplus. You have to take in more than you spend out. You have to get more in and you gain more and keep everything you've got and gain more and gain more and gain more. And the point of life, the point of this world is to gain and to acquire and to get more land and more houses, more properties, more things. And, and, and then the value of who you are in a human being is in how many things you can gain. But then we find the gospel comes into play and, and Paul's like the exact opposite. I've lost every bit of it and it's amazing. You got uh, Luke coming in. Dr. Luke's like, hey, look, if you want Jesus, then you have to lose everything. Jesus comes on the scene. He's like, hey, you truly want gain? Then you, this guy, he sold everything he had so that he could have Jesus. He gave up everything. See, we understand now where the gospel transforms our life as we see that we have gained everything we ever need in Christ Jesus. And now in him, we say, okay, what? now I'm, I'll give myself away. It's no longer my plan or my agenda or my dreams or my vision for my life or what I want. It's all his. And so now, Lord, it's my responsibility uh, to, to steward my life and all that I have for you because I've given my life away. And, and as a result, I've gained ultimate life in Jesus Christ. You see, once you receive this gift, everything that you ever are gonna see in comparison to that is gonna pale in comparison because he's changed our value and he's changed the way that we view gain. And that moves to the last thing, is the gospel challenges what we pursue. He challenges our pursuits. You know, everybody is pursuing something. It's just who we are, it's how we're made. Every person on this planet is in pursuit of something. Everybody, everyone in this room, everyone watching online, you, you're pursuing something right now. For me, it was those Nike pumps or that, uh, you know, it was that, Ken Griffey Jr. glove. Some of you young ladies, pretty soon it's gonna be like prom and you are gonna pursue like that dress because that is an important night and like that dress is gonna define you for a moment. But you know what? One day you're gonna get engaged and you're gonna be married and then you're gonna look like for that dress. I remember when Stacy was looking for a wedding dress, I'm like, dear Jesus, help her. Like this is, you know, it's a big deal. You know, I don't know anything about this thing. All I know is like, help her find that perfect one. Hey, I'm telling you what, I'll never forget those doors opening and I was looking at her face. I, I didn't notice the dress till she got down here because I was just looking at her and I'm like, this is amazing. And so what happens is for you and I, if we're not careful, we have these things that we pursue and we elevate them so much that our identity and who we are is found in this stuff. And so we try to pursue it and we go after it. it we say to God, this is just all I want. If you would give me this, I promise I'd be happy. 
Man, and some of you, like, that's your thoughts toward like giving and generosity in 2020. Like, that's it, Jesus, I promise you. If you make me a multimillionaire in 2020, I promise you, I will tithe. I will give, make me a billionaire, I'll give 20%. Right, I promise God, like, tempt, try me, Lord, try me, I promise. And your thought is, God, if you give me more, then I'll have all of my satisfactions met, and then, Lord, only you will I pursue. But it's not that way whatsoever. It's just not how it works. When we see the beauty of Christ in the gospel, his death, burial, and resurrection, he's, he satisfies, he's more than enough, and we pursue him, and everything else takes this back burner. Everything else falls on the, on the backside. And my sinful self is, is set up to pursue something other than Jesus. Think about what we, in America, we, we, we are established on the principle that we have the right to, to life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. I love that we get to live in the United States of America. You know why? Because I know that the only happiness that you're ever gonna find is gonna be found in Jesus Christ. And so that pursuit is ultimately gonna lead you to Jesus. You keep pursuing happiness and eventually you're gonna find yourself at the foot of the cross. And, and so we, we, are, we are creating a culture in America to pursue, to try to go after something. And the gospel challenges our pursuits. You know, the older you get, the more your pursuits change. The older you get, that your pursuits begin to, to transform. You know, at first you're like pursuing like that really cool car in high school or you're pursuing that, that degree or you're pursuing that, uh, that athletic scholarship because those things are defining you. And then you start to get a little bit older and you start to look for things like peace. You start to pursue things like joy. You start to pursue things like friends. You know, not like Facebook friends, like friends' friends, you know, like that love you and, and you'll be there for you. You start to pursue things like contentment and health and joy and sanity sometimes. Like just a little sanity, that would be good. We'll take a little dose of that today. A lot of moms are like, yeah, boy, that was my prayer request coming here today, sanity. You begin to, your, your pursuits change. See, this, this, this parable is a story about what was hidden now being revealed. And once they found it, it transformed everything about their life. No longer are they pursuing any other pearl. I, this is it. This is the priceless pearl. This is the priceless treasure above everything else. You see, when you have Jesus, he'll stand with you in the midst of your insanity. He will stand with you in the midst of your poverty. He'll stand in the midst of your loneliness and your difficulty and your trials. When we find Jesus, it is the greatest treasure that has ever been and it challenges all of our pursuits. So let me ask you right now, what are you pursuing? What are your pursuits right at this moment? Like, take a moment, write them down. Like, what are you going for? Some of you in 2020, you're going for like financial freedom. Like, that's it. I want financial freedom. And so how, how can we pursue that? Some of you are like, I want to pay my house off early. And here's why I want to do that. Some of you are like, I want to retire early. Like, man, I am tired of working. You're like 24. You know, like, I'm retiring early, boy. And you're like, just wait. It, it just, you're, I want to retire early. Others might say, you know what? The truth is I'm doing all of these things because at some point I want, my desire is to be and live a more luxurious life. I want luxury, like I want to fly that plane. I want to drive that truck. I want to live that house. We feel this pressure and we, feel, we all feel this pressure of living in a broken world system. 
We feel the pressure to keep up with the Joneses or to live a certain way or to look a certain way or to dress a certain way, to dress your kids a certain way, to have a certain name brand or to do a, a certain way because those things elevate our status and what we think about ourselves. But the gospel tears that down. Who cares about what other people think about us? What does God think? What does God know? And now we want to shepherd everything that we have accordingly. All for the glory of God. The gospel, it, it challenges our pursuits. Maybe, let, let's throw it out this way. I think this is maybe a, a, an easy litmus test for you today. And if this steps on our toes, then trust me, it has mine all week long. Maybe a, a question for you to, to know how you are shepherding all that you have for the glory of God, how you're stewarding those things rightly, is maybe to ask a question like this. Did I spend more money in 2019 to shoot a deer or a duck than I did that the world would know the name of Jesus? And if you spent more in your hunting gear and your desire to hunt or fish and, and people to know Jesus, then maybe we need to see what we're really pursuing. Or, or maybe a question would be like this, and I know, you know this wouldn't hit anybody in our, in our heart. If you spent more money in 2019 in support of a college team than in the world to know the name of Jesus, then maybe we have to sit back and say, okay, hang on. I spent more money on Georgia tickets than I did to advance the kingdom. And you're like, dang, like that, that's hard. But these are litmus tests for you and I to say, okay, what am I really pursuing? Because I'll tell you right now, I know every Georgia fan in this room is pursuing a national championship because we have not had one since 1980. Stop laughing, Florida fans and Auburn fans and Alabama fans and Tennessee fans and everyone else in the SEC who's got one except for us. I, I purposely left Tech out. I can promise you that one. Because you're pursuing, and the truth is, it's so easy for our pursuits to be off. And we don't know it till we wrap up a year and we look back and go, man, what was I really pursuing? I mean, if you ask my kids, what were we really after? Luxury or that the world would know the name of Jesus Christ? Do we truly believe that he is the greatest treasure that there ever is? And have we really given up everything in our life that we can enjoy and know that treasure? So let me ask you, are you pursuing Jesus above everything? Matthew chapter six, I love how he says it. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added to you. It's a real litmus test for me. Am I seeking God above everything else? Before your approval, before the approval of the world, before it looks good, am I truly seeking after Jesus? Students, hear me. Just listen to what I'm telling you. College students, young adults, this is a true question for you to ask yourself right now. What are you pursuing more than Jesus? It's so easy for us to do. Talk with your parents about it. Hey, mom, dad, what are we pursuing? What are we going after? And has the gospel changed what we're chasing? What are we chasing as a family? I, let me give you, maybe close with this last verse. This is the first Bible verse I ever heard. Uh, first Bible verse I'd ever heard, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, for by grace you've been saved through faith and it's not of yourself. It's a gift of God not of works, lest any man should boast. We are saved by placing our faith in the grace of God. That, it, the, that faith is that we will sell everything we've got to obtain the treasure. We'll sell all of our pearls that we can have the one. It's faith that his grace is sufficient and that Jesus came and lived and died and rose again. It, it's faith in the grace of God that saves us, but it is also faith in the grace of God that sustains us every day. 
The Christian life begins in faith and every single day is placing our faith that that treasure is still as beautiful and as shiny and greater than any other treasure this world has to offer. So biblical stewardship, it is rooted in how God created us, but it is re recast and repurposed in our heart and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is in the gospel that we understand now that we live for the glory of God and for his namesake alone. So where is your faith? What is your faith in today? Do you believe that Jesus is more than enough? If so, then today you and I, we will lay down all the things that we're trying to gain all the things that we are pursuing in value and all the things that we are going after in this world and we will sit in the middle of that field with the greatest treasure that can, uh, that can ever be given and we will rejoice and we will enjoy all the goodness that we have found with Jesus Christ and we will live as a people who have been given the greatest treasure this world has to offer. What that does is the gospel then roots out covetousness and envy because how in the world could I envy what anybody else has if I've been given the greatest treasure that we could ever be given in Jesus Christ? Our prayer is that God would now begin to transform that the world would look on to what we have and they would covet you and I because we've been given the greatest treasure and say, man, I've got riches, I've got fame, I have all this, but man, what I don't have, uh, what I don't have is the greatest value that this world is pursuing, the number one. I don't have satisfaction. And you and I find satisfaction and we have it because we have Jesus. Father, thank you for the gospel and how it transforms how we think about stewardship. It's not just giving 10%. It's not just tithing a little bit, but God, it's, it's looking at why do I live in the house that I live in? And why do I drive the cars that I drive? Why do we buy the clothes that we buy? And why do I spend time doing the things that I'm doing? It's just evaluating all that makes us who we are and to ask ourselves, God, are we giving all of these things to you for your glory? God, I pray that we, you'd raise up a group of young people that are so madly in love with Jesus Christ that they will choose to live without so that others can live with you. That mom, dad, I'll give up extra shoes and extra clothes. I'll give up the most expensive things. I don't need all the things that everyone is telling me that I need. And, and let's, give the, let's use all of these things so that the world can know Jesus. Help me in this, God. It is so easy for me to take my eyes off of you, for me to miss the greatest treasure that we have. Forgive us. Lord, forgive me for areas and times where I failed in this. And God, I pray that the greatest treasure we have that is given in Jesus Christ, let the gospel transform how we live, how we work, and how we play for the glory of God. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Won't you stand with me? We believe in the gospel is proclaimed. We have a time to respond. We're gonna open up our altar. You can come and pray. You'd like to join our church, you come on. You just wanna lay some things at the feet of Jesus. The altar's open. Our pastor's gonna be down front. But maybe you're here and the truth is, Man, you're missing the contentment and the satisfaction because you've never given your life to Jesus. We, our pastors, we'd love to help you find Christ. There's no better day than today, amen? We're gonna sing together, we're gonna celebrate Jesus. Our altar's open. Let's respond to the gospel. You guys come.